Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, July 14th, 2018. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And our very uh, good friend Molly is on the line today with us. Hi, Molly. Hi, everyone. And uh, we got quite a bit to catch up on, as usual. Uh, where do we start, ladies? Well, Travis has a cold. Yes, in fact. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit on the mend, but uh, yeah, I'm not feeling 100% today, but I'm, you know, I I can kick it into gear here. Yeah, it seems to be going around. Um, Okay, so what? I asked Molly to come on the podcast today because she's amazing and you guys probably remember her from previous shows like... The Ted Cruz, I don't know. Soup Ted Cruz episode. Soup Hour. <laughs> oh, oh God, I still listen to that just just for the lulls. Me too. But specifically because Molly, you are a licensed social worker, right? Yes, that is correct. And that's what you do for a living. And uh, I don't even know where to begin with the children, well, right? Yeah, yeah. And and what I think my goal is, is just to provide some context and education. So my current role is I I work as a manager for a child welfare agency. And um, I'm very, very familiar with child welfare law, both at the federal level and the state level here in Colorado. And, um, you know, I think like a lot of people, I've been so incredibly disturbed by um, the, the, you know, the detention of, of children under the age of 18 at these border camps or whatever it is that they're calling them, um, their separation from their parents, how that's gone down, the likelihood of that continuing and um, how difficult it's going to be. You know, this federal judge issued this mandate that all these children needed to be reunited. And I can tell you, you know, from based on what I know to be true of the of the child welfare system and, and HHS, which I should clarify, HHS is two different things. It's uh, um, Homeland Security, and it's also what we refer to as Health and Human Services. So um, I think sometimes in the media, those two things get conflated and confused. And so I, I think it's important to distinguish between those two agencies, um, because my understanding is a lot of these kids fall under the uh, purview of Homeland Security, but Health and Human Services is involved in uh, attempting to provide care and reunite these kids with their their parents. Um, so I think I just wanted to provide some, some inside information in terms of how this should have gone. Um, and, and the, the real damage that this may cause to, to these kids over the short term and the long term. Okay. I remember before we get into that, I remember we had a conversation one time, I think on the podcast about, family unification and reunification and not in a, in terms of immigrants, but just in terms of, um, you know, domestic situations where you were saying that the ultimate goal, like the goals have changed over the years around child welfare and whether or not kids should stay with their parents or be removed from their families. And that the kind of current knowledge is that if at, if at all possible, kids should stay with their families, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and we know from based on our research into trauma um, that removal from your parents can be just as traumatic, if not more so than the abuse or neglect experienced prior to our involvement and, uh, you know, what what necessitated the removal in the first place. And so what we're really talking about here is kids who haven't even experienced that. You know, they've been with their parents. They've been connected to their parents. There's a healthy attachment and relationship and they are being stripped away from their parents in the most um, traumatic and and devastating way possible. Um, well, well to, and then, that, to that end, that that was the initial excuse they were using, right? Uh, right. They they first when this first blew up, they tried to say, "Oh, well, this is this is just our policy to remove kids who are in potentially dangerous situations, who might be trafficked, who where there's a uh, potential or there's evidence of abuse and." No, because you had no. your sessions a week ago saying we're just we're just going to rip the kids away from their parents as a deterrent, right? And so that's you know, right. Kirsten Nielsen getting up there and lying was did not fly. So no, right. it's so like they just keep no. throwing whatever shit at the wall they can, right. Seeing what sticks, justify to really justify this this absolutely inexcusable and horrific behavior. I mean, this is this is at the level uh, you know of of doing damage that. Uh, it's not only damaging the children and the families, it's also damaging us as a country and our reputation and, and how we are perceived both internally and in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is really, um, to me, and I'm, I was very heartened to see the reaction because I was worried that people would just let this slide like everything else that's come along our way. We're just mm-hmm. in complete yeah. outrage fatigue, and I was super worried that it was just going to, I, I think the only reason that it became the issue that it did and that it was stopped, you know, or at least slowed down is because of the public outrage. Oh, absolutely. And, and absolutely. A I, pressure on our individual Congress people. And yeah, there, there's no question about that. I, I, I'm a little yeah. worried about now we are starting to move into, well, there's more shit happening in the news. This, you know, there's other yep. stuff to pay attention to, and the kids are still in cages, and the families still have not been reunited, and the, you know, yeah. they're not really adhering to the judges' orders. They keep delaying, and the media. We we all have to stay on top of this, right? Yeah. So I want to go back Absolutely. to what you think about the trauma that these kids and their parents but particularly the kids are experiencing and what your sort of insight perspective on that is. So, so kids, I mean, it really depends on the age and the relationship with the family member and the, you know, the parents or the family member that brought them in, um, in terms of what kind of short-term, medium-term and long-term impact this is going to have. I can tell you for the really young children, um, they're still in what we call concrete operations thinking, which is, um, it's, it's cognitively very difficult for them to understand that if somebody is not present in front of them, especially infants, if someone is not present in front of them, that they exist in the world at all. Right. And so essentially what we're doing to these children is creating this environment of they, they have no basis in their brains to comprehend any time, any, any, you know, that their parents exists out in the world. We're essentially creating the belief in them that their parents are gone forever and that they have no idea what's happening to them. They have no control over their situation. I mean, I can't really overstate the amount of trauma um, that this is having on these children. And then not only not only the removal part itself, but where they placed them. I mean, I hear people all the time, well, if parents are sent to jail, we take their kids from them. 
that's not at all true. First of all, we know we don't we don't remove children for their parents being incarcerated. We try very hard to find family members to take care of them. Um, you know, make a plan for reunification as quickly as possible. Yeah, we start like the kids go to jail too. Heck, like, no, yeah. no. I mean. Child welfare, we have very strict laws and rules, and for a very good reason around that. I mean, we place them in family-like settings as much as possible, and, you know, if they do have to go to a higher level of care, it's for a behavioral reason. It's not just because we ran out of space. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this the trauma is compounded by the fact that we're warehousing these children in essentially over, you know, glorified cages, and it's just... I can't, as a as a mother and as a professional in this field, I ethically I cannot. I just can't believe it. I, I really can't believe that we are doing this to people in the world. Um, you know, and I. It's just really hard to overstate how illegal this is and and how traumatic this is and how absolutely outside of the bounds of everything we know to be true about child welfare this is. Well, uh, clearly there was, there's not a lot of care given to child welfare in, in these decisions that were made. But no. let's maybe if we can step back and talk about this at a higher level, because I remember telling Rachel, like, I don't know if people are actually going to react to this. These are just brown kids. Yep. Mm-hmm. But people did. And, and did. I, it seemed to me more than just our side, the, the, the pink hats yes. of the people that have been protesting Trump since day one outraged by this. Um, but still not everybody. There, there's still a lot of those white middle-aged ladies in the suburbs who were just like, eh, these, they came here illegally too bad. And but a lot of those ladies who are not protesting and don't hate Trump were like, holy shit, you cannot just fucking take a kid from their mom and put them yeah. in a cage with the fucking Mylar blanket. That's not okay. Like, I, I hope so. The rea- I, I'm telling <laughs> yeah. you, there were a lot of ladies that voted yeah. for him that were like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. A minute. Like, I have a kid. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I can tell you that's true about child welfare is that there's very little aside from maybe um, pets or animals that gets people more at at a very visceral and primal level that affects people more than the care and welfare of children. And it's I mean, it's biologically sensical, right? Like this is, you know, we, we're, we're hardwired to, to care about children. And, um, and this particular action on the part of the administration has awakened, I think that really what we've been hoping for, which is this is way beyond red versus blue. This is way beyond, you know, politics and policy. This goes to our very core and, and foundation of who we are as a people. And I think that is really where you saw the, you know, the $22 million that are, I mean, I'm sure for it's higher now for uh, Rios. How do you say them? I've, I've, it's the agency that everyone's donating to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In Texas, the immigrant rights agency that everyone was donating to, to help try to mitigate the damage that was being caused by this policy. Um, I really think the administration overcalculated their odds here and, and overcalculated their position. I think that they thought people would just agree with them and be okay with this. And I, it, it right. was heartening for, for me to see the, just the sheer outrage at, uh, on every level um, that people demonstrated from first ladies, you know, yeah. regardless of political affiliation, all except the way down the to my one. friends. What's that? Except the current one who really doesn't. Oh care. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't, I, I really don't care to you. Yeah. yeah that one. Well, I mean, um, 
I think that they did overestimate their their hand here because they've been so successful using anti-immigrant rhetoric um, as a campaign as part of their platform. And when you when we talk about immigration, you know, people imagine like, oh, you know, Jose crossing over the border to come in here and sell drugs and do yard work or whatever. But when you in fact take asylum seekers and rip their children away and put them in cages people are like wait 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 <laughs> like even if you don't like the brown people coming across the border like that's not who we are right like wait a minute that's that's different from what i yeah. thought we were talking about in terms of hard line immigration and i think jeff sessions sort of just being so flippant about this idea of deterrence was really a misstep for them his just like, yeah. well, you know, this is what we have to do. They broke a law and we can't let them just keep coming in here. And people are like, no, okay, we maybe can't let them keep coming here, but this is not okay. You can't do that, right? Yeah, there's some it of that. It was a step too far. <clears throat> and I think that they did expect pushback, but they expected it from us. Right. Just yeah. us. Right. The, 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 the liberal podcasters and mm-hmm. the, the pink hat wearers and – those same people and then you know people some people get upset and then you know our friends in the New York Times will say there's partisan bickering and you know it'll be a buzz for a couple days and then we'll just go back to to normal so uh, they were blindsided that's good they're not backing down all the way obviously they back down some um, and we have to keep the fight up is the point and yeah can we talk about the idea that a lot of these kids are never going to see their parents again yeah I mean, I, I don't know if it's a lot. I can't say that, but I can I can say with almost 100% certainty, especially for those parents who have already been deported, who I'm, you know, the administration is saying, oh, they were deported and they wanted to leave their kids here because that was the goal in the first place to get their children to America. Right. And, they, and they're not, you know, but I, I have a very difficult time believing that. And, and what I think is more likely is that these parents were promised some kind of if you deport yourself, we'll we'll send your kid to you or something like that. And these kids, through through sheer, I just that's a, the astounding thing about this this whole action is that they've been disorganized and and flying off the seat of their pants for the entire time. And now you have children involved in that, and the system is is overburdened enough that I can tell you there will be those kids that they're just not able to locate their parents or they have some rationale or reason or justification for not reuniting from with their parents. And these kids are going to have their, the parental rights are going to be terminated. These kids are going to end up in the system. Uh, they're either going to be adopted by who knows who, you know, or they're going to emancipate out of care and their whole lives are going to be completely altered and, and changed from this three-month period where we had an administration decide that it was fine to, to, to take them from their parents. And I just don't think that there's any way that that's not going to happen, at least to a subset of these kids. Um, I just, it, it's, it, it's inevitable because... Where some of, they don't even know who these kids belong to in some cases, right? Like, they're like, no. we're going to have to do DNA testing because they didn't yeah. take record. They and then charge the literally families. literally didn't... No, they just ripped them away, they ripped them apart not, at the they, border. It's the most dehumanizing thing you can do. They didn't even <clears throat> put a right. number on them. They just said, oh, fuck it. Put them in a cage, put the parents somewhere else. And they didn't even take record. They didn't write it down. They didn't give the parents anything more than a slip of paper with a phone number on it. And then you call the number and they're like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, and- crazy. 
Yeah, this is, I mean, this is reminiscent of the slave trade. This is reminiscent of the, the um, you know, the re-education camps for Native American children. Right. I this was is, just going to say, yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is absolutely reminiscent of that. And and I do think that there's people out there who are trying their best to navigate the haphazard and completely disorganized way that this was done. I think there are social workers out there who are trying to reunite these kids, who are trying to get information. But I, I mean, these these families live off the grid anyway. They're already marginalized. They're already disenfranchised. And we just put them in a position in our system, in our vast bureaucracy, where, you know, it's just not going to, we don't have the systems in place to, to do this properly. And so, it, you know, when these the kids that are reunited are probably going to be, you know, it's probably going to take a long time. And it's just very, the way that this was done was so completely, um, I can't even find the right word. It was just evil. I mean, it was, it was, it was malevolent. It was very destructive. And, and these kids will never be the same. You know, I've been seeing videos of these children who are being reunited with their parents and their affect is completely flat they're, you know, they don't have the normal set of reactions that you would expect to see in children. I mean, these kids, they look like they've been through a, a disaster and they have, right. you know, you're seeing the exact same trauma reactions that you would from, uh, you know, Katrina or some other awful event that's happened to their, these children and they're traumatized. Right. Well, it's traumatic you know, enough if you're leaving your home because it's so dangerous and so deadly, you might be killed. And then you're going on this dangerous trek, uh, in some cases across yep. the desert or across very rugged terrain. And then you arrive what you think is a safe harbor, and that's where your trauma really begins. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's it's just, yeah. I, again, I, I, you know, my goal is really to talk about the, the child welfare system and how this really works and that this is completely and totally outside of every boundary that we have. And to talk about the, you know, I've heard other pediatricians, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but to talk about the short-term, long-term impacts of this trauma on these kids, is it really cannot be overstated. I mean, we're, and, you know, and why? So that we can prove a point. I mean, I think this really does highlight when the rubber meets the road on these abstract, hardline positions on any, you know, for any of these issues, Right. When you really have to follow through with your hardline stance, this is what it looks like. Yeah, this is what. Yeah, Ken yeah go ahead. talks about this a lot. It's called "why don't you"ism, like yeah. you know the guy at the diner. Why don't you just you know separate the families at the border? Then they'll stop coming. And then like you try to implement that in real life, and then this is what you get. Right. Or like mm-hmm. you know. Why don't you just uh, do this? Why don't you just make NATO pay more money? Why don't you just put a tariff on? And that's that's what we're living in. Yes. We're living in Joe at the diner with his – right. who doesn't really understand how the world works and wishes it was much simpler. And we're trying to do that and it's fucking disastrous. It's and horrifying and evil and awful. And yeah. There's a reason we don't just do that, Joe. <clears throat> right, right, right. That's right. And, that's and, right. And, and I think – And the first, the first victims of this why don't chism are the kids. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And and really understanding that this is why it's dangerous to be so simplistic in your thinking. It, right. it, you can't have this kind of simplistic thinking and have it work in the real world because the world is complicated and mature and adult people understand that and they understand the unintended consequences of their of their black and white thinking. Um, you know, we all do it. We all have these like, uh, you know, why we just do this, you know, but when you grow up, which, you know, I would 
I would say that a lot of these individuals that, that are in these hardline positions are just very immature in their thinking. When you grow up, you realize that it's just not that simple and that whatever you do, whatever you cause in the world is going to have unintended consequences and impact on a lot of other things. And that's, that is what we've really come to, uh, to fruition in this particular, in this particular stance that they've taken. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's why it's dangerous to elect a man that doesn't know anything that has these simplistic views of the world that is not a politician. Everybody's been saying for years and years, why don't we just, I am so tired of politicians. I want to elect somebody who's not a politician. <laughs> well, we actually did that with Herbert Hoover and it led to the Great Depression. So. And now we did it with Donald Trump. Yeah. And this is why you don't elect people that don't know anything about government or governing or yep. policy or anything else is because then they go, well, fuck it, just do this. And then they go, oh, oh. Well, I didn't yep. know. And it's like, well, yeah, I know you didn't know because you that's your whole platform, platform is you don't know. <laughs> and I don't understand that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we've we've rehashed this many times, but we, we sort of got tired of the adults running the business and acting like politicians and doing things like hedging and being politicians, things that kind of annoy everybody, even mm-hmm. us at times. Mm-hmm. And they and Donald Trump realized, like. If you just talk to them like you're Joe in the diner, mm-hmm. then they'll like you mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, add in the jingoism and mm-hmm. little ra- yep. casual racism mm-hmm. uh, to those folks, especially the marginalized white folks who really thought they were going to have a big mansion and three cars. And maybe they just have a modest house in the suburbs and they don't really like their job and they never were a great success the way they wanted. And they don't they can't turn that inward on themselves. So they blame the state and they blame the brown people who they think are getting all the benefits and that really resonated and that's is yep. where we are right and not to get too caught up on that because i want to kind of stay focused uh if we can so what what can we do and what can our listeners do molly to to try to help besides screaming on twitter which you know i do all day yeah. every day like <laughs> what else can we do to to help with this particular situation with these with these poor kids well, I think that I think that Americans um, and, and people around the world really had it right on to support these immigrant, uh, these legal assistance for immigrant uh, organizations. Um, I think that that is a, a powerful and on the ground way to help uh, these immigrants navigate this system and try to get justice. Um, the, they are really the frontline staff on, you know, trying to represent these folks in court, um, trying to get them their, their due process. And, um, I think those organizations are absolutely worth your time and attention. Um, those, those are the ones that really understand what's going on and how to, how to help advocate for these folks in our system. Also, I think it's important to note that that organization that was originally trying to raise $1,500, and ended up in the tens of 20 million, whatever it was. Yep. Yep. Really cool thing about that is that the goal there was to be able to bond these moms and dads out of jail. And as soon as they get bonded out, then they have the chance to reunify with their kids. Now, the cool thing about that is that it's a fund that, that renews itself. It replenishes itself because as soon as that person shows up in court, and the bond goes the back. Process, the bond goes back, and so this That's twenty-two right. million dollars could potentially be a thing that lasts, that could help every single one of them, and could last for a very, very long time. Because it's it replenishes itself, so that's a, yeah. that's a really cool thing that that happened, and I totally agree with you that um, these on the ground organizations. There's one here in uh, Denver called Casa de Paz, and what they yep. do is. Um, 
they help people get out of jail. Once they get out of jail, they provide them a place to sleep and some food and a ride to wherever they're going next and, you know, resources to try to figure out what, you know, what they need to do and how to navigate the system. Um, there's got to be some, you know, organization like that or something similar in your area. So I would just look into that. Um, I would say don't donate to things like the Red Cross or the ACLU or no. that kind of thing. Like do like local um, on the ground organizations for that this are particular doing thing. Yeah, the work. ACLU is doing some important other things, but for, for yes. this particular yeah. issue, yeah. And and I think the other thing is just not to let the pressure off. You know, don't don't assume that just because this that federal it's judge a new cycle that it's over. Yeah. You know, because really what that what what was decided in that legal position is that these sure we can reunite and then we'll put the whole family in detention. Right. Well, you're still creating a situation where these kids are in detention and they're not in the world learning, um, you know, learning how to how to be kids and, and playing and getting the social interaction that they need and, you know, really normalizing their childhood. You're still placing them in a situation Yes, they're with their parents, but you can ask George Takei and the other people who have been placed in in internment camps with their parents, you're still impacting the rest of their lives. And you can think what you want about illegal immigration or uh, undocumented uh, individuals, but just understand the impact that you're having on on a societal level and also on an individual level when um, you carry these hardline positions and just don't let the pressure off and for like all means for God's sakes vote in November. I mean, it's, I'm kind of in that, in that place of desperation where I feel like this is kind of the last frontier, (laughs) you know, this may be the last time we really have an opportunity to impact anything. And I'm, I'm seriously concerned that if we don't provide some kind of counterpoint and counterbalance to this administration in November, I really don't know where we're going to end up. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of pushback about calling these um, these camps that they're placing these kids in these in- internment camps. I've gotten a lot of pushback about calling them concentration camps. And I I don't have any hesitation to do so, because, you know, when when the Nazis began their campaign, it wasn't like they started at death camps. Yeah. You know, they started with this Just kind of them, yeah. This isolating and this normalizing of of this uh, of pigeonholing and and identifying groups to do this to. And they said um, it was for their own protection and all this other garbage. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. If you study World War Two and and the Holocaust, like we we get so it's not just that we really hate the right wing and really hate Trump, like. We get alarmed because we know history and we see the parallels. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, That's and right. You like, know, holy shit. Yeah, this this is like beat for beat how stuff like this starts. Well, and people keep saying, you know, it's going to start any moment. And then if you talk to historians, they're no, like, no, we're four we're or five steps, steps down steps the path. In, into it. Yeah. We're exactly. Four or five steps down the path. We're already in it. So yeah. it's not like just wait around until somebody gets gassed. It's like, no, no. We're already there. We're like four or five That's steps right. down the path. Yeah. It's time to be really, really fucking alarmed. And people don't understand yeah. that. It's not like one day the people opened their paper and said, now it's fascism. Oh, Let's gosh. Go. Fa- yeah. Fascism happened and there's people dying? Yeah, what? No. Yeah. No, it starts slow. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's just like an abusive relationship. You don't That's- enter into a relationship and the guy punches you in the face on the first night and you're like, let's get married. <laughs> right? Like it's a slow burn. And then eventually right. you figure out that, you know, so it's the same thing. You got to, we're already there. Yeah. And I don't use the word concentration camp lightly. And I hear 
I hear the pushback. I mean, I, I, I validate that and I can understand why certain, you know, certain people would be very sensitive to that. Um, you know, but I think had, had we known then what we know now, could we have seen the signs and could we have done something different? And so I use that as a rhetorical tool to say, let's not, let's not go down that path because we're on it. Mm -hmm. And, and what happens when the first communicable disease outbreak happens in one of these camps and these kids start dying yeah. mm -hmm. or we get so many of these kids in these camps that they have no place for them. What do you think happens then? Right. You know, yeah. so really, really get your imagination around the fact that this is, it, it's happened before and it's not like it can never happen again. And, we don't want to think that way because it's horrifying, and yet it's it, it is a it is a, a inevitable outcome if this does not stop. Right, agreed. And so to that point, in November, like that that is kind of for me the last. Um, that's it. I mean, if we don't yeah. prevail in November, I don't. I don't. Yeah, we have to get back at least it. one chamber. Of I don't think of we make it. Um, as a I republic, as a democracy, as a people, as a, a, I think the great American experiment is over if we don't do I something drastic in November. I, I absolutely agree. You know, I spent some time in Canada over the summer um, and I don't, you know, some, some people may remember that my, my significant other is Canadian and spent some time with his family up in, in Canada and the perception of, of the U.S. is just, it, it, a lot of people perceive it as a failed state and they aren't wrong. Right. And I think this is our one opportunity that we have left to reverse course and yeah. to get back on the right path. Um, we need to show up as a moral obligation, show up and say, this is beyond politics. This is about the very foundation of our democracy and whether or not we continue to exist as a country, yes. um, or we go down the path of where we've seen so many failed democracies go down before. This yep. is this is this story has been written innumerable times, and it's up to us right now to decide which way it goes. Yep, yep. And, and even if we do prevail in November and take back yeah. at least one, if not both, houses of Congress, oh, it's going to be a long road back. I mean, there's yeah. been serious fucking damage done, and we're going to have to be vigilant and and do some drastic things to reverse just this one year. I mean, really it's been a, been about a year and a half, right? That he's been yep. president and that lot can happen in a year and a lot has happened. And the only yes. chance we have is to take back at least one chamber. And even then we have to really do some serious work to get back to well, any sense of normalcy. And that brings about, and again, this is totally off topic, but, sort of not really, that brings about the whole conversation about the Supreme Court and where mm -hmm. we stand with that now, because mm -hmm. that, yeah. that really Courts is a wrap. Courts aren't going to bail us out anymore. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I want to I save the court for the second half, because I, I think you and I will have an awful lot to say about that, Molly. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... It's it, but it is that cascading effect. You know, I often compare it to the metaphor of a child building this gigantic tower of Legos, and it takes five seconds to destroy it and it takes two weeks to build it. Right. And it's very much like that, that this was easy to destroy and it's not going to be easy to get back. Right. It was, it's always been fragile and it's always been a balancing act and it was built in a way to try to build in some of those protections and those institutions to try to protect it. But when those institutions and those norms and those policies are ignored um, or just flat out, just not followed, then 
we have to look at that and say, okay, like, I think if we do take back these chambers in November, there's going to have to be a lot of lawmaking that happens, a lot of, of, of institution making and, and norm becoming policy and becoming law and things that we took for granted for a long time. We're going to have to really codify and solidify and say, this is not acceptable and this is what will happen and this is who we are. And I think that's probably the only way um, I think we've realized, I guess, that this was a fragile system. We've always taken for yeah. granted that, oh, we're the greatest democracy in the world. And, you know, uh, and then it was really, like you said, it was really easy to knock it over. And I think we looked at that and we went, oh, fuck. <laughs> we always thought that was a given. And someone just walked in and said, no, I don't have to do that. And I'm not going to. And we went, oh, there's nothing we can do about that. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, the structural um, the structural flaws to our system are on full display, yes. you know, and, and I, I think that we've I, I like the phrase taken for granted because I think Americans, um, by and large, are very good at self-delusion and societal delusion. And we continue to just live our normal lives like, you know, this is this is all going to work out. I mean, it's just like a, the, you know, the sitcom and we're all going to get to the, you know, we're all going to get to the 29th minute and laugh about it, you know, and, you know, this has long-term lasting impacts on, on. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I really, I really think that's true. Like people just look at this and go, well, it can't really be that bad, right? It can't, we're American. (laughs) It can't really be happening like this. And that, that seems too, too much. That seems like, no, and I, I don't. Well, we heard all that really after the that election, bad. right? Right. <clears throat> okay, Trump. He'll be reasonable. He'll act just like the <laughs> other presidents, and mm-hmm. he's got Ivanka there, and Ivanka's progressive, and it'll be fine. And we said no, it's not no, going to be fine. No, yeah, we, I mean we've been yelling and screaming for the entire time, and been called hyperbolic, and been told that we're being hysterical yep. and histrionic, and all of these. We still things. are. Still are, and I'm like, no, you guys, I'm not kidding. Like, it's really bad. It's really that bad. And it's not just going to, like, fix itself. It's not just going to no. be okay. Democracies fail. States fail. And when that, that happens, they do. like, it happens then all it over the world. Then it becomes something else. Yeah. And then it's not a representative democracy. Right. Then it, we then are it's right. very close to that right now. It is an autocracy, banana republic, I dictatorship, mean, or something in between. So yeah. our elections become a farce, like. Like, you know. I mean, we are a hair, a breath, a single away from that. Well, they're, they're tiny, actively tiny, trying to do tiny, that tiny, when you look at Chris bit. Kobach and the voter commissions and trying to <laughs> right. strip all the voting rights and all the voter ID laws. Like, yep. That's clearly what it is. Right. No, we and are, even the courts say so, uh-huh. but not the Supreme Court. No. Like even before uh, Kavanaugh, they, they just, eh, this eh, isn't doesn't whatever the states can do we whatever don't they need want. States can do what they want. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. No, like I'm telling you, if November doesn't go our way, we're done. That's it. Yeah, it's over. Yeah, it's I, 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 I do agree. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I think that the I think that the immigrant, the the concentration camps for children, which is what I've come to calling it, um, really did highlight for for a lot of people. It kind of woke them out of their stupor of like, oh, this isn't just politics as usual. Like, holy crap. We're like doing we're doing this. <laughs> we're doing this. This is a thing that's happening. And oh, my God, what does this mean? And um you know, and I, as 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 heartened as I was to see the reaction, I'm I'm equally disheartened to see that there are still a great majority of Republicans in in the halls of Congress who 
still will not live up to their obligations as as citizens and members of this of this country. They no, just they'll all go down with the ship. They just I yeah they they can't for whatever reason they, they don't understand yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, we, we want to say, oh, this can't happen here. This can't happen here. And the reality is for any student of history, you see that not only can it, it's kind of inevitable. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the fact that we've lasted this long without going down this path is pretty remarkable. Right. So to, to think that this can't happen is is not only delusional, it's it's just, it's ignorant. I mean, right. these this happens in, in, you know, look at Egypt, look at all of these other places where, yeah, they had a, a thriving, functioning, representative democracy, and it's gone now. Right. And it went bye-bye. It's it's a part of that American exceptionalism and American narcissism, yes. right? This idea that yes. it can happen anywhere else, but of course it could never happen to us because we're exceptional. We're not like everybody else. We're better than everybody uh-huh. else. We're, we're the right. greatest country. And that kind of language that frankly Donald Trump has used and did use to get elected, that kind of language and that kind of thought process is exactly how you end up in a place like this where nobody believes it could happen because we've told ourselves this lie that we're better and more exceptional and different than everybody else. And so we come to believe it can't and then it does and we let it because we can't possibly imagine that it could happen. Well, that's the way, interestingly, things get turned on their head, right? Like growing up, Everything about supporting the flag and supporting the troops and Veterans Day and Memorial Day was like, look at these brave people who died so that you could be free and have democracy. And now it's just look at these brave people who died because America's great and you need to venerate the flag and the troops. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the big thing growing up was that it was the fight against communism, right? Where communism was this. Uh, horrible monolithic thing where the government controls everything and you have no freedom. And now, ironically, the the, the jingoist nationalist party here gets in bed with the, the Russians <laughs> to try to support <laughs> so democracy. Weird. It's like, wow, that really changed. And it's not under the banner of communism, but, you know. It's like, look at cares? all these brave people who died so we could make money. And we don't yeah. say that, so we just say... Look at all these brave people who died. Moving on, no, right? It's, like it's they look don't, at all these brave people who died because anymore. America like, is great and America looks white, and you know, it, it's that kind of thing. We don't really know yeah. why your kid died in this longest war in our history, uh, but you know, thank you for your service. I guess I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you were doing there. But yeah, I think we really have lost, you know, and and I think one of the good things that came out of this whole, um, the, I I say good things, it's not good. It it just was a highlight and and maybe something we can learn from is that I think people really did do a gut check on this one of like, if this is what we are now, who am I? And, and what, what is my purpose here? What is my role here as a citizen of this country? Um, you know, Rachel, I often think about our conversations about how we really are two countries kind of shoved together uncomfortably. Um, and I think the citizens of the country that we belong in, uh, are, are horrified Mm -hmm. to, to have to associate with and, and have actions done in their name that reflect these awful periods of history that, that none of us you know, the good, decent people who would have fought against it then are fighting against it now. And, I, you know, I've read many things that say, like, what you're doing now would dictate what you would have done then. And that's absolutely true. Right. Um, you know, it's it's there's there is zero daylight between 
the the actions of a of an autocratic and and um, dictate dictatorial uh, leadership and now. Right. So whatever it is that you're doing now is what you would have done then. And I would hope that any decent good person, even if you voted for Trump and supported Trump at this point in time, would really do a, a self check to say, is this really who we are? Is right. this really what I'm about as a person and as, as a, a human being in the world? Yeah, but the, the most recent polling shows that most people that call themselves Republicans are sticking with him. I mean, he's hemorrhaging independence, whatever Democrats kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. Those are gone, sure. Yeah. But hardcore Republicans, conservatives, they're not going anywhere. They're all aboard. And, you know, a lot of them buy the Kool-Aid. Well, it's being exaggerated. It's being overblown. The media is lying to you. Right. They're crisis actors. Yeah. Whatever. Really cog- just like whatever. summer camp for kids. Yeah. There's not that many that, that say, oh, this is great that these kids are being separated and traumatized. What they're no, really they saying use their- is, no, that's not really happening. Right. And that, and that's another classic never- fascist tactic. Well, exactly. That's Absolutely. what I was going to say. It's like that's a step down the path when we don't know. We, we are using separate sets of facts and not just like my dad and your crazy uncle at the dinner table, but like mm-hmm. the news media is fomenting a, a false narrative and they know it to support a regime that's committing yep. atrocities Not all of them, humans. but still. <clears throat> like people like Chuck Todd and NPR – like they, they have to always find their way back to something, something both sides. Like they, they're okay. Oh, wow. The Trump administration is doing these horrible things to kids. This is unprecedented. Uh, Obama deported a lot of people. Let's have on, you know, yeah. it's like they, they have to get back there. They, 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 yeah. It's just like it's hardwired into their DNA that, okay, this, this can't be that horrible. We can't pin this all on the one party or the guy in power. We have to present this in a both sides spectrum and let's, we'll just wrap up this, the show with, and this has led to partisan bickering. Good night. It, it's like, <laughs> Good night. yeah. And right. that's still happening. But that's different from this other thing that's happening, which is literally parts of the news media making false statements knowingly in order to prop up the narrative of a regime that is committing human rights atrocities to cover it up. I think it's that's related. That's happening. It's related. And, and that's happening though. Yeah. Like that's a thing that's happening. And we have to talk about how like that is absolutely like that's like seven steps down the path to authoritarianism. Right? Are you talking about yeah. when Trump's Trump gets on a microphone and says, I have determined the uh, the moon is made out of of green cheese and i am princess buttercup and you know then he walks off the stage and then the ap uh, not to pick on the ap but they do this a ton instead of saying trump makes bizarre unfounded claims they just spit out his his quote I'm talking and say about- trump declares himself princess buttercup and then that's it and then right, that filters that. down into like certain people who don't pay much attention like oh the, no, trump I'm is a princess no i'm talking about fox news going on on the air and saying these kids are crisis actors, or this is not actually happening, or th- this is overblown. Like the well, Fox News is state media. Are, are the, they their right? Own that's what I'm saying. We have a thing. fucking state media, and that's yeah. really alarming. Yeah. Really alarming. Yeah. The largest cable network. The largest network. cable well, and, network in this country is state-run media. That's right. Literally. And and I 
And I would go back to, you know, we were asking about what people could do. And and it just sort of struck me. um, One of the things that I think is really important is to stop hedging our bets when it comes to issues like this. Stop talking about illegal immigration like it's this, um, you know, yeah, we really don't agree with it, but and we know we need to do something. No, there is no problem at our borders. It is fine. And and stop pigeonholing people at the border. And, and, you know, it reminds me of like the whole abortion debate, right? Like, oh, well, nobody really wants it, but we need to have it available. No, no. abortion is great. Abortion is fantastic. So change the narrative, like change, our, like stop hedging our bets on our side yes. and really stand up and say, yes, no, I want we open borders. I want to abolish yes, fucking ICE and abortion is amazing. Period. That's what. <laughs> no, nothing else. Well, get to that abolish ice thing. There's a fight right now between the. Uh, it drives me crazy. That should we say abolish ice? Should we say reform ice? We should. And it's like, oh God, we're doing the Judean People's Front versus People's Front of Judea thing, and right. like, that is not the the fucking point. Right. See, we're we're I all on the same the- side, and we're going to fight each other while the kids are, are in cages about the. I think one of the things that our side our side could get better at is because we are we are more intelligent and more thoughtful and more nuanced in our thinking. We tend to use our language in that way. We tend to be very um, not vague necessarily, but we we entertain a lot of alternate hypotheses. We entertain a lot of complexity and nuance in our language. This is not a time to be complex and nuanced in our language. This is a time to be bumper sticker slogan abolish ICE. Done. Like this is a Gestapo agency. This is almost like a private service agency in service of of a a regime, an authoritarian administration. They need to be abolished. You know, like we just need to get very clear and and clear cut in our language to in public. Right. Like I think there's always a place to be nuanced in your thinking, but then filter it down to the simplest message that we possibly can and get to that place where we are able to articulate our position as clearly as possible as a counterpoint to the simplistic thinking of the right. And I think we've done not a good job at that. Oh, we're terrible at it. Rachel and I bitch about it all the time. I rage about it constantly, right? The messaging on the left, it is exactly what you were just saying. Like, we have all of this nuance. Fuck nuance. Like, then we go and we go on the Sunday shows and we go, well, but, you know, yes, I mean, I do believe that. We don't have a right. problem at our borders, but I would say that, what? of course, Was there a Democrat know, on a Sunday show. And then this Republican comes on and is like, you want open borders. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. we're like, no, well, I mean, I don't necessarily think, no, you want to abolish ICE. We need to be like, yeah, I want to fucking abolish ICE. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a yep. pseudo militaristic, like you said, Gestapo agency propping up a regime and committing human rights violations, period. Right. That's and, right. And ultimately we're not going to just get rid of borders if we're in control of everything, but you're right about this. No, we still have and customs and border patrols. Like yeah. that's, that's the thing. People conflate the two. They don't even understand that the two are completely different. Well, the media customs and border. Sure, yeah. yeah. The media has not done a great job and we don't understand. I mean, I think there's still people out there who think that ICE are the ones like checking your passport at the border. Are you yeah. kidding? No, like right. people don't understand. we have customs and border patrol. They, they do their jobs and they do them, you know, relatively well. This is not what we're talking about. We are talking about paramilitary agents armed to the teeth, patrolling marginalized communities, looking for people to to persecute and place in detention. Like this is exactly what happened in, in, 
you know, with the Gestapo. This is exactly what happens in these regimes. Yeah, not even marginalized. I see them in downtown. They're in Lakewood. They're in Aurora. They're going into our county courthouses against the request of our governors and mayors and judges, arresting people in state agencies. But yet, oh, it's states' rights. You know, I mean, it is. It is a paramilitaristic organization. Yes, it is. It needs to be fucking abolished, and there's no hedging about it. No more. Yes, it is a ter- it is a terroristic organization servicing an, an authoritarian and autocratic regime that I still maintain. See, I told you I wasn't going to go off the deep end, but I, I can't help it. <laughs> you know, we we had a we had a a coup mm-hmm. in in 2016, and we are under occupation. And this is an agency that has that is in service of that of that regime. Yeah, they're essentially like, the SS it, for yeah. yes for Stephen. Miller. Yes, and. And yeah, so yeah, I don't think there should be any hesitation or hedging of our bets on our side to say ICE needs to be abolished. It is it is not serving whatever purpose it was designed to serve. It has now become a terroristic organization on the streets of our cities. Yeah. And and it is terrorizing people left and right. It's terrorizing children and, you know, immigrant communities are living in absolute fear. It's targeting a specific group of people. I mean, it's targeting a specific group yep. of of citizens or non-citizens but a group of people in this country and taking them off the streets and putting them places so that is i mean <laughs> i just want to relate one story that went way under the radar and then we have to take a break but a uh <clears throat> one of the big fires here uh, i think just just this past week was set by a guy who was like this this mountain dude who uh, like he, he made a fire pit to make his dinner and then he didn't put it out. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. genius started a giant, caused yeah. a giant fire. He is a Danish citizen who overstayed his visa. For some reason, ice didn't come kick down his door and drag him away. Hmm. I wonder why That's that is strange. Weird. I just, I yeah. had to look at the guy and I'm just like, he does look a little different than the, than the people ice usually <laughs> drags away. Well, and now, and now they're targeting, you know, I know we need to take a break and we can talk about this later, but now they're targeting immigrants, you know, legal immigrants, immigrants who are naturalized, immigrants who have papers in our military. And yeah. this is, this is not specific to, oh, we need to stop illegal immigration. This, th- what you do when you go down this slippery slope is create conditions under which people of a certain ethnicity and race can be marginalized, persecuted, and placed in camps. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, the, right. that's the whole idea. That's and it's, the whole it's clear thing. as day. And again, the media doesn't really want to go there for the most part. Uh, yep. Not most of them. Anyway, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're gonna t- I want to talk briefly about the, the whole Peter Stroke uh, Bullshit. I just want to kind of focus on one part of it. We don't have to rehash the whole thing because it's kind of obvious. And then uh, Rachel and Molly are going to talk, I think, extensively about the Supreme Court. Yeah. So don't go anywhere. We'll be yep. right back.
Hello and welcome back to Reverend Testimony. Molly is with us on the line. And uh, <clears throat> I just want to pivot real quick to, uh, I guess it was yesterday, the Peter Stroke hearings. Uh, if you don't know who Peter Stroke is, I don't even know what to tell you at this point. He's, <laughs> he's the guy who was texting with his lover about how he's an FBI guy who was initially working on the Mueller uh, investigation. And then he was texting. It turns out he was texting with his uh, mistress, lover, whatever you want to call it, not his wife. Uh, at the FBI about how Trump's a dick and a weenie and gosh, I hope we stop him or something like they that. They're joking around about how Trump. Well, he uh, they, no, everybody's already forgotten that they also texted that they don't like Hillary and they didn't like Bernie and they don't like anybody and they're they were gossip office gossiping, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So they dragged him on Capitol Hill and said, "Oh, you're part of this big conspiracy to bring down Trump." And he was kind of like, "If I knew all this shit before the election and I didn't leak it, then why do you think I was trying to bring down Trump?" And then they then they. Then faced with nothing else, they said, "Well, you're really bad for cheating on your wife." Yeah, <laughs> all no. things. That's Straight the part legit. I wanted to talk about. Louis Gohmert. I want to talk about this. Too. He wasn't Louis the Gohmert. only one. What? It was multiple Republicans. Uh, well, who were he, like, how dare you? Don't you're married, sir? If you lied to your wife. Why do we believe that you're not lying to us? And I'm like, you, what the fuck is happening right now? You assholes! <laughs> you assholes! The the full-throated uh, uh, condemnation of someone in defense of Trump for this very reason is the most hysterical thing to come out of all of this. Oh uh, I think is it's just so it's so it's so unbelievably hypocritical that it's hard to even wrap your mind around. Yeah, like forget about the point I, I mean, that it's completely can, irrelevant. Uh, really, right. you guys. After after all the resignations <laughs> of all the creepy assholes that mm-hmm. got you know run off uh, in in your chamber specifically, yeah. Now we're gonna do this. Yep. Okay, let's bring uh, up everybody yep. who's cheated on their wife and say you're no longer you, uh, you're no longer a trustworthy person and you couldn't possibly tell the truth ever again because you fucked someone other than your wife. Blake Farentold, who still I don't think has paid back the money for his uh, sexual harassment. <laughs> Uh, payouts. <laughs> there was uh, the guy who wanted his intern to be a broodmare. Right. Uh, which one was that? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> there, uh, there was the guy in Pennsylvania whose intern was a soulmate. Mm-hmm. Um, shit. All of them are married. Yeah, all of them are married. You know, Al Franken just got booted for the picture, basically, and some other accusations of being creepy. Right. But But, like... Infidelity is a thing that Congress is real familiar with. Oh, Jesus, the all of Washington. <laughs> right. If infidelity was a thing that made it so that you were no longer a trustworthy person um, in Washington, then there would be no one in Washington. Yeah, it, it's you're, – you're, you'll have better luck finding uh, people who are, are – it's, it's harder to find people their defense are of, what, What's that, faithful. Molly? Yeah, let's not forget their defense of Roy Moore. Right. <laughs> okay. Oh boy. No, oh boy. I was, sh- I was like, okay, of all the things, and there was a lot of explosive shit that happened. That was just like jaw dropping. Like, and and it became a little bit like the UK Parliament when that shit came up. Like, normally, you know, the UK Parliament's very rowdy, raucous bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They're rah rah sort of people. And our chamber is very like buttoned up, which is sort of opposite day of what you'd normally think of the u.s versus the uk but when people started bringing up his infidelity like there were members that were like this is outrageous like just totally out of order yelling and screaming and i mean it was just it was really beyond belief if i could put on my history nerd hat for a minute u.s congress actually looked a lot more like the uk parliament up through most of the 19th century 
And it wasn't <laughs> really until the 20th century that they, they were kind of like, we should be more dignified and, right. you know, not like this. Right. But Congress used to look much more like that. It would make sense. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in these times, maybe it should again, yeah. because I, I mean, I think this whole argument about civility is just, it's so pedantic when you're facing down the, you know, the reality that they're trying to, I mean, really, what was the goal of yesterday's hearing? It wasn't to, you know, shame this guy for cheating on his wife. It was to undermine the very legitimacy of the law enforcement agencies charged with with our democracy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I think he, Peter um, Stroke was very correct to call that out. And, and I think he really, I thought he did a fantastic job of really laying bare the, the, you know, the, the goals of what that hearing was really about was to question their legitimacy as an agency. And, but, but I don't think, I think that was the point. I think this was a big glorified fundraising campaign for the, absolutely. Right. But I think I'm with you, Molly. I thought he did really great, um, under some really ridiculous circumstances. Um, yeah. And I did appreciate, I did appreciate the one legislator who read out all of the emails that conservative uh, lawmakers had. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, And how about how terrible Trump was? I mean, surely he wrote those. Surely he wrote, I mean, that that was, that was was actually a stroke. I loved it. (laughs) Did you write this one? No. No, you're right. You didn't. It was you didn't. Right. It was whatever. Right. It was amazing. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. It was so good. Yeah. And then you know, the conservatives dismissed that. It's like, well, that was during the campaign, and uh, so, was, so, was so was this. So was this. You know. So was this, <laughs> and it just, you know, I think they're, you know, they're trying to say, oh well, it's, he worked for the FBI. You know, working for a, you know, I can say this, working for a government agency, working for the government doesn't mean that you can't have your own political opinions. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, formulate your own well, thoughts. I'm glad you brought that up, Molly, it, because it, a, a total underreported segment of this is that there's a whole other side to this, and that is the New York FBI field office and Giuliani's buddies and all the leaks yep. that came out there to damage Hillary and, and help Trump. And that still may be coming down the pike with uh, – there's another IG report that's set to come out. Um, I don't know if we'll ever truly hear about it, but all we hear about is stroke and stupid texts. And in reality, like the actual rat fucking and shit coming out of the FBI, FBI office was very ironically all on the other side. Cause to think that, to think that a large bureaucracy like the FBI could be influenced by one man's political opinions is so laughably ignorant as to be it just stretches incredulity. You cannot have an agency of that size formulate some nefarious plot, like like Peter said, like in some dark room. Some it's, it's ridiculous. That's not how any government well, unless agency it's the head works. Of the FBI, right. which is, is what they tried to pin on well, Comey. Right. But but no, but you're right. Like it's to misunderstand how the FBI even functions. I mean, it's 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 right. like, do you even understand how this government agency functions, or what it does, or how it works? It's like. The whole hearing was a mockery, really, I think, I think Republican senators and their misunderstanding or willful ignorance and pretending misunderstanding of how the FBI actually functions. Of course. Of course yeah. it was. And, yeah. and again, the, the whole thing the... was a big fundraising stunt yeah. because this is what their base wants. Yeah. want them to fight um, and stop this uh, investigation and stand up to corruption the corruption and the deep state. And, and... and... Mm-hmm. Oh and they did. And they're all going to fundraise you know, off it. And they're going to raise a shitload of money. So yeah. that's that's. But I don't want to. I don't want to understate the impact of of, of 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 undermining the the 
trust that that we have in these institutions as a you know this is an attack on our very democracy to undermine the the trust and belief that these institutions are operating as you know as entities of of you know, independent from politics and, well, I, and what I don't know if does they ever really are independent from politics and I have my own well, issues with the FBI though. I think you're right I agree because that's going back to what we were talking about earlier. That's one of those steps down the road to fascism. Right. Because what we were led to believe, what even like my boss, the 85-year-old, um, when Trump was elected, he was horrified. But he said, you know, I've, I've always believed that our institutions were strong enough to sustain anything, including a buffoon like this man. And so that's true until you start to tear down those institutions that are mm-hmm. supposed to uphold democracy, that are supposed to withstand someone like Donald yep. Trump. And in doing that and just trying to discredit these institutions is a very clear step down that road of we don't need them. They don't work. Fuck it. And then it's just authoritarianism. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's that's absolutely right. So I I think that there's I think there's legitimate questioning of, of how, you know, how investigations are carried out. And I think that's where independent investigation from Congress, if Congress is a functional body, can really be impactful because the goal of that of that sort of investigation would not be to undermine the institution. It would be to uphold it. But that's not the goal of what the Republicans are currently trying to do. They're not trying to, you know, reinstill confidence in these institutions through independent investigation. They're trying to undermine them entirely. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a dangerous, dangerous road to go down. And I think that Peter Stroke said that very clearly yesterday. You know, this is this is fundamentally dangerous. Um, what they are, what they are trying to do, and I 100% agree with him. And I was very, I was, I, I really appreciated his his um, righteous indignation at the entire uh, absurdity and farce that that was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, I don't know how it's playing in the media. I tend to tune out, but um, you know, I, I hope that his full throated defense of the FBI was heard at least in some in some way. It's it's playing uh, out generally as typical. That's typical, right? Blah, blah. Yeah. 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 And I did appreciate the whole, you need your medication. I loved that 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 particular line was very clearly uh, heard in the audio uh, over all of the bumbling and talking. Um, But yeah, it was, it was shameful. I mean, it was just a, I mean, it just really, it didn't highlight anything about Peter Stroke or the FBI or anything else. What it really highlighted is how, fundamentally broken our congresses yeah. Spe- on the subject of that um so yesterday rod rosenstein announced uh indictments uh, mm-hmm. 12 russian nationals for hacking specifically the dnc and yeah. uh through uh an entity called guccifer 2.0 which was sponsored and run basically by the russian military um everything that has been called fake news, fake news. And, you know, this alarming uh, now proof that the Russians did, in fact, hack and influence the election and are planning to do it again was met by uh, Republicans specifically in the Freedom Caucus in the House by saying we should impeach Rod Rosenstein. So that's not suspicious, guys. I mean, it's... It's well, and I just and, and and I don't I don't know when we're pivoting to the Supreme Court, but I just read this really interesting article in the New York Times um, 
I'm not going to speak intelligently about it because I, I, I just perused it, but that Rod Rosenstein had sent out a request for um, members of the judicial branch to um, compile information and, and decisions uh, specifically related to Kavanaugh and his um, legal positions. Uh -huh. And it sounded like that was a very unprecedented request. So I'm, I was curious to know if anybody had heard this or what the impact might be of, of Rosenstein getting involved in the uh, Supreme Court uh, confirmation hearings. Interesting. And I think very much unprecedented. Why would that be? Uh, I, because I think they want to know if this guy's going to try to stonewall or fuck oh, up right. the investigation. Right. Because Right, that's sort of been the, the narrative on the left is that Trump's picking his own judge because uh -huh. Kavanaugh famously said you can't uh, investigate a president, a sitting president, because um, it looks bad for the country and you, it could undermine. You shouldn't is more what he said. Right. Yeah. So that's the guy. Even, even, though, even, though he was pivotal, even though he was a pivotal member of Ken Starr's investigations of Clinton <laughs> that eventually led I'm to his impeachment. to know everywhere so, that Clinton right. ejaculated funny. how much and yeah. what it looked like. Funny, funny, yeah. funny how that works. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about the so Supreme I, Court. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm scared. Oh yeah. So <laughs> as ladies, right? And as a queer lady, um, I think even if we take back the chambers in November and manage to wrestle our democracy back from, uh, you know, the edge of the oblivion. Um, I, you know, elections have consequences and one of those consequences is Supreme Court nominees and, and Supreme Court appointments. And, um, I think we're fucked in terms of Roe, Roe v. Wade, um, Obergefell. Um, I think the fundamental rights that we've been fighting for, for the last, I don't know, century are going to come under attack and I think that we'll lose in the court. How do you feel? I, I agree with you. Um, my, my hope is that much like the, um, uh, much like we saw with uh, children in cages policy, my hope would be that the 70% of Americans who agree that uh, Roe v. Wade was a good thing and that abortion should remain legal and safe for women uh, would be, on the streets and up in arms if, if such time came to be that uh, Roe v. Wade would be under attack. My guess would be that it's going to be the death by a thousand cuts. I don't even think the Supreme Court would have, it, have the, uh, the wherewithal or the guts to just overturn go it. overturn it like in a, in a direct way. But I do think we're going to see attacks um, from all sides, you know, and these these laws, these access laws that are, um, you know, being brought forth, like the 20-week ban and the, um, you know, the needing to be registered with a medical facility, which, you know, in in form over function, the function of that is to is to illegalize safe and legal abortion. I think that's going to be um, what we're going to see happen. I don't know that we will see just a straight Roe v. Wade is overturned. I think even the Supreme Court understands that that legal precedent is. Uh, would be shocking to the system of America. Um, however, I do think we're going to see many state laws come forward and the rulings are going to go the opposite way. Um, and, and essentially, Roe v. Wade will be outlawed operationally through these, through these uh, pieces of legislation coming from the state level. That's my guess. I, I don't know if that's 
I mean, maybe they'll just, you know, just go loaded for bear and just go for it and overturn it. Um, but I, I don't Give know that that's going to be what states, we're going to see. Right. Give it to the states. Yep. Yeah. States no, rights. I think, yep. I think, um, women will burn this country to the ground, uh, if they overturn Roe v. Wade, I think. Yes. Um, I would agree with that. <laughs> 70% of people who agree that abortion should be safe and legal. Um, I think among women, it's probably more like 90. Um, and for a lot of us, it's not just like, I believe that's true. It's like a fundamental tenet of my bodily autonomy that that remain a thing. And that's true for women, whether or not they can have children, whether they're old, too old to, or too young to, or infertile, that's true for women who are queer. That's true for, for, it should be true for fucking everybody, by the way. Yes. But, (laughs) um, it's not just about, you know, we talk about abortion as though it's, it's about family planning and it's about murder and it's about whatever, right? For me, abortion is about my bodily autonomy. That's right. It's about saying, I get to decide whether or not I want to have, I want to be pregnant. That's right. That's it. It's it's it really comes down to my my rights as a citizen and as a as an independent adult in the world and whether or not my body is subject to the decisions and the whims of politics or whether my body belongs to me and I don't think you can get any more fundamentally American than that. That's right. You know to to basically state that we are nothing but vessels that that house is, you know, I would hope that most women would uh, find offense to that. And and you're exactly right. This isn't about whether or not I want to have a child. You know, I have a child and and it's not about that. And it's about whether or not my my body belongs to me and what that means in in the grand scheme of my um, independence, autonomy and citizenship in this country. I mean, the (sighs) fact that dead bodies potentially could have more rights than women we talk about how, well, you know, it's about saving lives and it's about, you know, murder and all of that. So in order to like dead bodies, right, you could be an organ donor or you could not be an organ donor and organ donations and tissue donations save so many more lives, right? Like save so many lives. And yet if when you're alive, you didn't consent to donating your organs, nobody can come in there and take them from you to give them to someone else to save a life. So a dead body has more autonomy than I do if you take away my right to reproductive rights. That's right. That's I think that's a great point. You know, I, that's what's at stake. And, I, and again, it needs to go away from, um, well, abortion is, is unfortunate but necessary. And, you know, we, we really, like, no. Like, I, or this whole, like, I, well, it, what about it, in cases of rape and incest? Or what about the life of the mother? No, I don't love, fucking love, care. Love. Have an abortion for right. fun. <laughs> have an abortion for have 20 abortions. I don't care. I don't care why you had an abortion. I don't care if you didn't use protection. I don't care if you are perfectly capable of raising a child and you have a ton of money and you're married. I don't give a shit. Have an abortion. Anytime you want to have an abortion. It's none of my fucking business. Yep. And that's, and it, and it really goes down to the fundamental right that, that women have over their internal organs and over their bodies. And mm-hmm. when you think about it from those terms, it's absolutely astounding that this would even still be a conversation. You know, I often talk um, with my boyfriend about this, you know, be, being Canadian. It's just, you know, he, he's just astounded that these arguments are still happening. You know, this is just settled. It's just done. 
Right. You know, you're not going to get anywhere in Canadian politics with the, with this idea that women aren't 100 percent people. And sure, they have people up there who, are, you know, protest abortions. They've got the same, you know, sort of people go, you know, that we do here in the States. But it's not legitimized. It's not codified. There's no institutional support for that kind of thinking because everybody's just kind of come to the decision and the conclusion that it's over. That debate is over. Right. And women are people. We, we, we're, we're done with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would invite them to try. I think it would be an interesting, uh, wake up call for the right to understand just what this would mean for them. Um, but I don't think they're going to try overtly. I think they're going to try in these very covert sort of, um, death by a thousand cuts ways of operationally outlawing abortion while it's still, technically legal. Well, I'm not have. sure if I could just interject. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's good enough for the crazies that now have they, they see the finish line, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think in terms of like turning it over to the states, I don't know that that's good enough for for Marge who pickets Planned Parenthood because Marge might say, "Oh, well then that's great that that abortion will be totally outlawed in Texas and Oklahoma. They could still do it in Colorado." Mm-hmm. What about those poor babies in Colorado and New York? No, yeah, that's over, not good enough. Right. Overturning Roe, <laughs> what would be, would be, for most legal scholars, putting it back to the states would be saying that would be the legal argument that they would make. Most, but not but, all. But Roe was settled I, on the right to privacy. Yes, right. But it depends on the case that makes yes. it to the to the court. Yes. Yeah. The, the case could and be I, narrow. The case could be very broad and and and, and basically cite Roe. You know the text of Roe. Exactly. And, and if that gets ruled against in a specific case, that is essentially overturning Roe. P- again, this is uh, people mis- misunderstanding how the court functions in that sense. Right. And yeah, so yeah. it could be a big sweeping thing if the case makes it to the court. If the court accepts yeah. it. If the court accepts it. If, if the court standing, accepts it. If there's a million permutations. But yeah, it, it could be a big sweeping thing. It depends on the case. It could. It absolutely could. And they could do the same thing with, um, you know, um, marriage equality. They could do the same thing with, with a lot of other rights that we fought for. I mean, really, if you want to go down the, the hypothetical route, they could overturn the civil rights laws. I mean, they could. It, well, it, they've already started it, to do that. Yeah. Roberts yeah. Ba- with the vote, gutted the Voted Rights Act by basically saying, well, racism's over. That's a, that was a yeah. thing in the 60s, but it, it's not really institutional racism anymore. So we don't need it. Well, and I think these religious freedom rights acts, right? That's where I'm really scared. Yes. Because we've got Gorsuch and then we're going to have Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. And so they've yep. got 6-3. And you put forward some case about religious freedom and abortion, religious freedom and gay marriage, religious freedom yep. and gay adoption. I can't have any employees that have ever had an abortion. I can't have any employees who are gay because it's against what I believe. I don't want to give you medication for AIDS because I don't believe in in gays. I don't want to let you live here. I don't want to let you work here. I don't want you to exist. They've given such a wide interpretation. We should put them all in camps because that AIDS thing, because, you know, that's for their own safety and for public health safety, because my religion says I don't want to be around people who could have AIDS and be gay. And maybe, maybe gay is contagious. We don't know. Maybe we should do experiments to find out. I mean, the fundamental core of these people is they want us to not exist. Mm-hmm. And right. they want to control women and women's sexuality. Well, there's Those a fight brewing two... in Maine right now. 
because uh, Paul LePage just vetoed a bill outlawing conversion therapy. So yes. what if that gets appealed to a higher court? Yeah. Yeah. And works its way up the chain. Yeah. Just put us I in mean, I almost execute us. I don't know. I would almost invite these more um, black and white full-throated challenges to these laws because I think that's the easier battle to have. You're right, Marla, um, but you're also probably right that it probably won't happen like that. that like, right. It's going to be these It's going to be these, these, these precedent-setter cases that come before the court that are going to be harder to fight because you can, you can limit it. You can look at the scope and say, oh, well, right. you know. Yeah, like in Texas, the hallways aren't wide enough on your abortion. Right facility so they all have to close and, and it's not within like 90 miles of the, yeah Texas. yeah yeah and that one that so one i won. yeah i would almost invite the more direct attacks um because i think that's the easier battle to have um but i think i don't think that's what we're gonna see i and i think they very strategically chose kavanaugh for that reason because he's good at that nuance. He's good at the subtleties. He's good at arguing those cases based on precedent and merit. And he makes it, he can make it sound like it's limited in scope when operationally it's really not. Right. Um, And I think that's the danger. Right. It's like the masterpiece cake shop case, right? The number of fucking straight people who told me that I should not be having a feeling about that because really it wasn't about that. And it was about the Colorado civil rights commission and blah, 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 fucking mansplain. Shut up. I read it. I understand perfectly well the fucking scope of that decision. I understand it. I don't need it straight explained to me. (laughs) What I'm saying is that case is now precedent. And so that case can be used to set the next case, which has a little bit bigger of scope and a little bit bigger of scope. And pretty soon we're back in the days where public rights accommodations, public accommodations is no longer a right for people like me, period. Yep. It's, it's, yep. it's, it's that death by a thousand cuts. So don't tell me the master. Yep. Patient, don't, don't, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And, and again, scope is right. No. The, the problem is, <laughs> okay. So, so this gets to a court that, and they use masterpiece as precedent. And then we say, well, if you read that, the scope of that, it just says this one person on this Colorado Civil Rights Commission that seemed to have bias, so they said this and that. A judge doesn't, can interpret it any way they want. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, no, his, his religious liberty was violated. Yeah, but that's it had right. to do with this. Mm-hmm. No, that's no, his, his religious violated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it, it, happens, it happens all the time. Look at Hobby Lobby. Yeah. That fucking shit's precedent yep. too. I mean, there are already, we're already dying the death by a thousand cuts. And now it's we don't have five four we have six three the other way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't know I don't know how we win that. Other than we I don't either elect and have vast majorities in Congress. Well, and the local consti- and state houses to make constitutional important. amendments to have these rights codified into law, rather than they think that's the only way to do it. Yeah. We have to have constitutional amendments, which are really fucking hard to do. Yes. And since we live in basically two different countries, I don't see how that gets ratified. So, and, and our side still tries to be reasonable and accommodating, and the other side does not. The other side is scorched earth. That's the other uphill battle, well, and, even if we have majorities. And, yeah, and this is, the, this is the inevitable outcome of the scorched earth tactics. I mean, the, <laughs> McConnell's hypocrisy is evident to anyone with half a brain, mm-hmm. and yet here we are. You know, he won. He won the battle of 
you know, completely disregarding precedent and all legal and 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 congressional norms and rules about how the Supreme Court just uh, Supreme Court vacancies are filled, and he got away with it. Yep. And and I I you know I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to say at this point other than how can we continue to pretend that we have a functioning republic right. when it's clearly evident that we have a president who was probably not legitimately elected in 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 power who is now this is his second supreme court vacancy that he will be given the authority to fill and we are in this position of okay i i don't know what to do with that i don't either and what are we going to do put ginsburg's brain in a jar and just hope she lives forever <laughs> i mean and- Weekend at Bernie's her. I don't even, I mean, at this point, it doesn't even matter. Poor Ginsburg, right? Like Ruth, Ruth should retire because at this point it's, it's, I, I, I guess I, I shouldn't say that. I don't want her to retire. I really, really hope that she doesn't, but you know, she's, she's kind of this stalwart of understanding the implication of her retirement and has yeah. tried to stifle that off. And now it's kind of, well, I guess this is where we're at. And fuck Kennedy, um, by the way. Fuck him. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, fuck him. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this, does he, he literally doesn't give a shit about the Republic. He understands exactly what this means. And Yep, and he understood, and he negotiated his retirement for months. Yeah. Uh, with, the, with the promise, you know, from, from media reports, it sounds like he negotiated this with the promise that it would be Kavanaugh. Yeah, and as soon as he got that reassurance. Okay, good, yeah. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to go golf. As soon as he got that reassurance, he's like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. You know, and... Again, I think it just goes to the conversation about the legitimacy of our institutions and where we stand at this point as a republic and as a democracy. Um, it's not looking good. And it really, it's not looking good. And it really does pinpoint the flaws in how our system was designed. Right. The so fact that we have how these institutions. I, yeah. I want to know if this drives you guys as crazy as it drives me. Um, there's been this flood of articles in the New York Times and the Post and everywhere else like – yeah, Kavanaugh might have some extreme views, and he might be a threat to Roe v. Wade. But he's a really nice guy in the car carpool club, and <laughs> he's really nice in the Girl Scout functions. It's like, is there a fucking – what is the point of those stories? Like, to humanize I, him, sure, to, uh, to make him more palatable. Goebbels you know, is very really... charming at parties. Like, who the fuck – and it's this Beltway ass-sniffing shit with like – yeah, Andrew Breitbart, he's, he writes terrible things, but he's really a nice guy if you get to know him. It's just like, it's fun I to have can't, a beer with. I can't with these fucking people, with this shit anymore. It's human. It's humanizing fascism and authoritarianism, and it's it, again, it goes back to historical reference that this is nothing new under the sun. You know, if you can humanize this, if you can dehumanize the people we target and humanize the people in, inflicting pain, then everything's okay. It makes it, it makes it more palatable as we go down this path. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I don't know what you do with that. I don't either. This I don't. Like, I don't know what to do with any of it. Insane. <clears throat> That's the least of my worries is the New York Times articles. But, like, it is a problem because it does exactly that. It It normalizes this person who is going to be instilled for decades. So, like I said, even if we went back – November, right? We win back these chambers and we manage to wrestle our democracy back from the teeth of authoritarianism. We have decades of 6-3 on the court. Yep. Regardless of whether Trump gets impeached, regardless of whether the whole administration goes away, 
We have decades of 6-3 at the Supreme Court. And again, and again, our, our protest voter friends and our friends who sat on their hands and didn't vote and just said, well, both sides are terrible and nobody's progressive enough. We said, okay, I hope you understand what's going to happen on the courts and when things like your right to choose and your right to contraception and to have a union, like – that's all going to go down the shitter with the courts. Ah, whatever. The court is there. And, it's and what did like, we also tell them? The most marginalized among us. Like, what a privileged thing to say because the most yes, marginalized among us are, are going to be affected. And now we have fucking brown kids in cages. Yep. So fuck yep. you. I absolutely, I absolutely agree that, that this um, – the, the adult implications of childish decisions are coming very much to the forefront for, for a lot of Americans. Yeah. And, you know, this whole idea that we'll elect Trump and see what happens. Ha, ah, lols. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay, that wasn't funny. And uh, oh, I'm not going to vote because it's, you know, I don't like them. Yeah, okay, not funny. No, no. Yeah, and now we've got kids in cages and you might lose the, your bodily autonomy. So, okay, I guess maybe that was a bargain you might not wanted to have made um, in, in 2016. We tried to tell them. We tried to say, no, it matters. Elections have consequences. But we... People got so fucking complacent. I think it was like, yep. yeah, Bush was really bad, but everything was fine. Yeah, Obama was pretty great. We're kind of okay. Like every, like especially, I think women of our generation really take Roe for granted. Like there, yes. there are these. The, we don't live in a time where it wasn't a right that we had, and so for a lot of women, they just it's not a thing that's on their radar because it's like it's of course I can have whatever birth control I want. Maybe I have to pay for it. Yeah. But now I don't under Obama. It's great. And of course I can have an abortion and maybe I got to wait a little bit or I got to drive, but whatever. Like, it's not a thing that was on a lot of women's radar. And now it's like, look, ladies and fucking men too, by the way, <laughs> let's not forget that a lot of men have had abortions. Like a lot, the equal number of women that have had abortions is the same yes, number men. of men who do not have children. <laughs> so yes. let's just remember that. Um, but now it's like, okay, this is, this is. This is not a thing that we can take for granted. This is not you, – you voted for Jill Stein. Okay, cool. Roe's going to go away because you voted for Jill Stein. Like I literally have several female friends who voted for Jill Stein. And mm. we tried to tell them back in 2016, like, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> please don't do that. Like I know it seems safe. I know it seems like she's going to win, but we really – you can't take this shit for granted. And then – yeah, and I think it, it just goes to the the whole point of internalizing the toxicity of American exceptionalism and yeah. the impact that that's going to have on our long-term prospects. This whole idea of it's always been this way, so it's always going to be this way, and I don't have a responsibility to ensure that it remains this way. And we're, I, we're, see, we're seeing the impact of that lack of responsibility taking. And I don't want to talk to anybody who lived prior to 1973 to see what it was fucking like. Like, it's not like Roe is established for the last 200 years. No. You can talk to lots and lots of women who lived in a time when abortion was not safe and legal. Shit, there are women. Griswold v. Connecticut was 1954 that established the right of women to contraception. My mom was born in 1954. So you can go talk to women who weren't allowed to have fucking birth control that are still alive. This is not something that's not old. No, it's (laughs) not old, old, and oh, it's always been this way. No, it's not always been this way. And the women who came before us fought for fucking hell to get it this way. Yep. And then we just shit it away. We just said, oh, it's probably going to be fine. It's, pro- it's probably fine. 
It's probably fine. Yeah, it's not going to be fine. Um, But I, you know, I, all I can say is that I welcome the fight. Um, I, I think that I, and I, I hope that it is a direct fight. I hope that we can have the opportunity. Um, but you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations about uh, where has Obama been? Why hasn't Obama been more outspoken? And, and my response is, is, is the same in that it's not his responsibility. It's ours. Yes. And his, our democracy and our survival belongs to us. And if we're not going to own that at this point, then we lose it. Uh, and, and by and, the way, you know, and that, if Obama got up on a microphone and said, this is really bad, we have to do this and that, every, it's not going to move the needle. No, it's not going to move the needle. And, and at, what, at what point do you stop externalizing the responsibility for the outcome of, of your country? Right. At what point do you stop saying it's so-and-so's job or it's so-and-so's job to speak up? No, it's it's ours. That's and. Right. You know, if, if there's millions of people in the street and if we shut down institutions and we shut down systems and, and economies, yeah. you know, that's that's really what it's going to take. Yeah. Um, and they may you know, turn that, the cops and the tanks and the guns on us. And yeah, that may be something that we have, have to, to be prepared to prepared face. To face yep. I don't know if we can yep. actually be prepared to face it, but we may be facing it. Yeah. So, we may be facing it. And, you know, and it's again, you sound crazy. You sound hyperbolic. Fine. I hope happens. I'm hyperbolic. I hope that. Yeah, I'm me too. <laughs> in November and things go back to normal. And a couple of years are like, wow, I was fucking crazy when we had President Trump. Huh? But I don't I think we're well past that. So if it turns out I'm being yeah, hyperbolic we've been, we've been called and crazy since the beginning. And, and, it, and if are. that's right, then great. And I'll come on here and say, boy, I got I got carried away there a couple of years ago with this whole Trump <laughs> thing. Huh? Thank God. Everything. It's fine yeah, now President <laughs> Biden. Like, fine. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. But I don't think that's the case. And I'm either. getting ready. And we are all preparing for having to take shit much, much more seriously than we've had to for yep. most of our lives. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. That's right. And, and I... I don't know where we go from here, and I don't know what the confirmation fight's going to look like. I hope that it's vociferous, and I hope that it is public, I and I hope— the, the, the shit will get dug up, and he'll get confirmed, and, you know, it'll be what it is. And if it doesn't it matter, is. if it's not Kavanaugh, it doesn't matter who it is. Yeah, he's got You're a right. list of 40 people. It doesn't uh, matter. The Federalist Society list is, is deep, and it's like— It doesn't like, matter. No, it's not it like the next person on the list is a moderate. It's not like, no. okay, oh, I guess I better call Merrick Garland now. Like, no. right? Nope. <laughs> and for anybody for anybody wondering how Republicans can still continue to support Trump, this was the, this was the whole ball game right here. Yep. They didn't they didn't like Trump because they were like, "Ah, he's a great Republican." They nope. wanted Trump because of this. They wanted this, this right here. This was the this was the entire enchilada they said right it here. Out loud. They said, she "I don't care if you hate the- Trump. I don't care if you we like need that Trump. SCOTUS pick we need to get the SCOTUS pick. We need that pick." So understand for all of those of uh, all of those of us on the left, this was the entire point. Yep. This was it, and and now we're here. And so understand that that is going to have repercussions for generations to come, for our children and for their children. This is this is going to be the fight that they inherit. Is whether or not we're people, and whether or not as LGBTQ people, whether or not we have rights, and I mean it, it. this was the whole enchilada. Mm-hmm. So right now it's here. I mean, really? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Am I, as a woman, am I a, like a human that has autonomy? And as a queer, am I allowed to exist? Yep. I, I you know, and as, again, I've talked about being. A... Right? Like, yep. 
they're clearly already on the path to not human and not having a right to exist in this country. Well, and, and, and again, well, it, you know, if this does go back, it's going to go back to what it was before, which is rich women have safe access to safe abortion mm-hmm. and poor women don't. Right. And Trump's you know, mistresses who get, and it gets pinned on Elliot Brody. And then we got the welfare systems. And so poor mm-hmm. women have children that they don't want and can't afford and can't feed. And then we have starving people in the streets and then and cops kid, go mowed them down. Yep. And that's okay because the cops are never wrong and black people don't matter and black lives don't matter, clearly. And it's just real dark from now yeah. on. It's real, real fucking dark. I, I totally agree. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 I live in, I live in a situation where I have, I have privilege and I have a responsibility to use that privilege to speak out and speak up when I can and do what I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have that. And, and the weight of all of this is, is on all of us. Yes. And so yes. it may come down to a point where you do have to choose between remaining safe at your desk, in your job, uh, pretending, you know, going to the grocery store, pretending that life is fine, or you do have to choose to stand up and, and make a difficult decision and put your own comfort at risk in order to fight for what is what matters. Right. And so you know, if, if, and when the time comes and it's already here, but as it, as this evolves, I think each one of us is going to have to make a very difficult political and personal calculation about how much we really believe in, in what we talk about and what we stand for. That's right. And are we willing to get uncomfortable and, and stand up for things that maybe cost us a lot in our own personal lives? Yeah. For, for the rest of us, right? For the rest right. of us, that right? Can't. For the rest of us, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, I, I, as a as a person who works in child welfare, and as a as a licensed social worker, and as just a, a human being that is, you know, a, a decent person. I hope, I believe that I, I try to be. You know, I have to make that calculation of what is what is comfort to me, and and how important is that to me in the larger scheme of what matters as a as a a nation right. and as somebody who is responsible for other people in the world. Right. Okay. Well, we are just about out of time, but uh, it's been a really good episode. Molly, please do join us again whenever you feel Absolutely. like Absolutely. Uh, I know you're my favorite. <laughs> there's going to be plenty to talk you're about. you're just this very, like, you always go down the road where my brain is and we are able to say things like, you know, the death of the Republic <laughs> in a serious and, you know, <laughs> well, it is. This, these confirmation hearings, they're, they're going to take a while and there's going to be twists and turns and bumps in the road. He is going to get confirmed. Look, unless something yes. comes up that he has a secret sex dungeon or, and even then probably even then whatever. Yeah. yeah but, but it's going to be interesting. There's going to be plenty to talk about and, uh, we'll follow it for you. And, uh, yeah. Uh, you motherfuckers don't vote. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And there's if you don't vote now, then I don't know what to tell you anymore. Voting is is number one on the list, but there's much more stuff that we need you to do now. It would have been enough if you just voted back in 2016. Mm -hmm. But now there's a lot more to do than just vote. But at least fucking vote. Very least that you can do (laughs) fucking vote. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, find us on uh, Twitter at Reverend Duo, Reverend Testimony at Gmail dot com. We will be back next week. Thanks again, Molly. And Absolutely. Thank you for having me. That stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. Talk to you next week.
心。